Tonight on Huckabee, American Bob Thomas escapes the Ukraine conflict. New York Post columnist Carol Markowitz. World champion baton twirler Joelle Claudia. The exceptional Music City Stream. Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Welcome, everybody, and we have a fantastic studio audience. And by the way, most of them are all dressed up in green because this week is St. Patrick Day. So you're wondering, what's wrong with you? I forgot all about it is what's wrong with me. It's exactly what's wrong with me. I've got this beautiful green tie that I only wear once a year because it really doesn't go with anything. And this year I blew it. I didn't even have it on. So uh, maybe we'll do St. Patrick's Day twice this year, this week and next week. I don't know. But we are so excited to have this group of folks here with us and grateful that you have joined us. A great show tonight. You're going to enjoy it. But something we're not enjoying, and that is as we watch the horrific scenes from Ukraine and see the pure evil in Vladimir Putin's vicious and genocidal attack on civilians and civilian targets like maternity hospitals, we're also inspired by the courage and the determination of the Ukrainian people who refuse to go quietly and are showing a noble, although daunting, resistance to the invasion of their country by one who might be the worst and most evil dictator since Hitler. Now, we also ought to be learning some lessons about the value of freedom, as well as the cost of losing it. But I'm not sure we are. For years, I have argued that there are three things necessary for people to be free. Their ability to feed themselves, fuel themselves, and fight for themselves. Because a nation that depends upon others to put bread on their tables is hostage to those who bring the bread. And a nation that has to import its energy to fuel its vehicles or heat its homes and run its industries well, it's able to be shut down the moment the supplier nation says so. And a nation that can't manufacture its own weapons for defense and has to go hat in hand to others and ask, please, for tanks and planes and trucks and ammo, it's only free so long as the suppliers are friendly. President Biden and his squad of leftists fail to understand any of those three. One of the reasons that Ukraine is so attractive to Putin is that Ukraine is the food basket of Europe, producing a large portion of the grain, vegetable oil, potatoes, and other commodities that the world, all the world, depends on. For Russia to own that is not just to have the economic benefit, but to have the power to control the countries who depend on importing food for their survival. Before Biden took office, America had achieved energy independence for the first time in 75 years. We were no longer having to beg the Saudis or the Russians in order to get some fuel to run our economy. Folks, we have energy, lots of it. And it's not just plentiful, but it can be cheap. 
and not just for powering our cars or heating our homes. Oil-derived products make our clothes, our iPhones, furniture, fixtures, materials for our homes, containers for our food, and parts for our cars. Joe Biden's war on fossil fuels are really a war on our freedom, and it makes us more dependent upon importing foreign oil, oil that in most cases isn't even as clean or inexpensive as we produce it right here in America. Truth is, America's got more oil and gas than Russia does. We've got more than Saudi Arabia. We've got enough to supply our needs for at least the next 400 years at the current rate of usage. That should get me through my lifetime anyway, right? <laughs> I think that ought to cover it. We may one day find a way to inexpensively generate and distribute green energy and make electric cars affordable for everyone and make them practical. But folks, we're a long way from that. By the way, for some of us, going green would just simply be returning to our childhood. I mean, when I was a kid, we used wind and solar at my house to dry our clothes. It was called a clothesline. And it was right there in our backyard. And by the way, we didn't use gas-guzzling SUVs to transport ourselves to the city pool or to baseball practice at the Little League. Nah, we used our bicycles. And we sure didn't use smartphones and laptops that used up a bunch of energy. No, our phone was a party line, but it was on the wall in the kitchen. But I'll tell you something, we never misplaced it and had to say, has anybody seen my phone? <laughs> and a laptop, that's what we used to hold the bowl when we hand-shelled peas on the front porch because it was too hot to do that inside. Now, we didn't waste energy on air conditioning, not in my house. Of course, truth is, we didn't have air conditioning. That's why we didn't waste any energy on it. Having our own energy to fuel our economy is not about oil and gas. It's about freedom. And to be free, we've got to be able to make our own weapons to fight with. We won World War II in large measure because we were able to quickly turn our manufacturing capacity in order to build bombs and bullets and trucks and tanks to transport them and our troops. If we've got to beg another country for a ride or for the missiles and machine guns, we won't win a war, but we will lose our liberty. I pray for the brave people of Ukraine, but I pray that the stupid people in America will learn a lesson that our freedom is dependent upon our ability to feed ourselves, fuel ourselves, and fight for ourselves. Two weeks ago, Vladimir Putin began his vicious assault on the country of Ukraine, as well as its people. Bob Thomas is an American expat who made Ukraine his home for the last almost six years. That is until Russian forces began shelling civilian targets throughout the country. When those air raid sirens went off, Bob and nearly two million others knew it was time to get out. About a week and a half ago, he was in Ukraine trying to get out of harm's way. He's here tonight with his harrowing story of escape from the country that he calls his second home. Would you please welcome him to our show and back home to the USA, Welcome, Bob Thomas.
Bob, it must be a little different. A week and a half ago, you were literally trying to get your life out of harm's way, not sure if you would ever see uh, the USA again. Would you survive all that Putin was doing? And now you're sitting on stage in Nashville, Tennessee, on television, talking about it. So it's been kind of a whirlwind, huh? Of course. So I want you to take us through what you went through in those, uh, those days leading up to Putin's invasion and then the process of getting out. Leading up to the invasion, there was so much conflicting information about whether this was real. And on the ground in Ukraine, uh, lots of people really didn't believe it. Uh, even uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said, don't overreact. And most people felt as though any real increase in hostility would be the Donbass region. That's the far eastern tip, Lugansk, Donetsk, which is already very pro-Russian anyway. Uh, but nobody believed, really very few people in Ukraine believed anything would come to Kiev. And because, as you mentioned, I made it my home for five years, I wasn't eager to leave, although I was watching closely. Uh, but the first morning, the 24th, Thursday morning, two weeks ago, I heard the most deafening air raid sirens that, well, this is real, okay? Yeah. And that day I spent a time on the phone not talking to people I knew who had cars, former students, I teach English, and I asked them, how do you feel about a road trip? Poland, maybe. <laughs> and uh, yeah. they, uh, no, the roads are blocked. Russian tanks are stopping people. And later that night, uh, I met with a Norwegian friend who visits Ukraine periodically, who told me him and his girlfriend and girlfriend's family, we had two cars and they were driving out to Lviv and then to Poland the next day. I said, maybe you have an extra seat in that car. Mm -hmm. He said, well, it's not my car, but I'm kind of, got some influence here, so maybe I will try to push that and see if they will be, agree. And he called me later and said, you're in. Be at the apartment by 6.30. And so Friday morning, the 25th, two weeks ago today, uh, I walked 30 minutes to his apartment pulling my 60-pound bag and with my backpack before curfew was open because it was, you're not supposed to be on the street. And it was that morning that I... the. The morning that I heard the air raid sirens, I didn't hear any bombs. But that morning, walking to their place, I heard distant, it was thunder. I really can't say I was dodging shells, yeah. but uh, I heard the thunder in the distance and uh, got there plenty of time and loaded up the cars. And there were seven people in two cars. And as soon as we got the cars loaded, the air raid sirens started right at 7 a.m. And Harold, my Norwegian friend, He's a former Norwegian military guy who, he's combat ready. He told all of the people, we're leaving today at seven or we're staying through all of it. Mm. And so the air raid sirens went off and all the girls, oh, we're gonna stay. We gotta go in, in shelter. And he said, okay, if we're staying, we're staying for good. And they said, okay, no, we'll go. Five hours, we got on the road and five hours later, we heard the news that Russian ground troops were in Kiev. So we really got out right ahead of them. So, and then took kind of back roads, not the, not the straight smooth route because he was picking the Southern uh, slightly longer route to get out for safety reasons. So that's the beginning of the trip. Were, were you afraid for your life? I mean, did, was, were you conscious of that Putin had 
couple hundred thousand troops out there going after folks like you. So were you aware of that? Yes and no. The first day, everybody heard that they were bombing airstrips yeah. and military installations, basically extremely strategic targets. So civilians evacuating are kind of a low risk. But you don't want to be on the streets when the troops come, and that's always the ticking clock. Do we leave and get there? Because if there's going to be an invasion, it will be on the ground, and that's going to be a very bad time to be there. So I... I was worried then. But there's something else I learned about myself and dealing with crisis, because I've never dealt with that much before, and that is that when you start thinking that, and I don't mean to sound like a, a war veteran, but I do know what it feels like to know you don't think about too much. You mm -hmm. think about the next step only, and that was we need to get out of Kiev. We need to get to Lviv. We need to get to Poland, and then we'll figure out the rest. Uh, we didn't go... That, did, that plan did not stick, because the other people in this party decided to go a southern route, but I went to Lviv anyway and stayed at a friend's apartment for a few days waiting for the right time out. That's when I was in touch with Johnny, who you had put me in touch yeah, with. Yeah, a guy named Johnny Daniels, an Israeli friend of mine that uh, was going to try to help you. I just want to let our audience know because they don't know who Johnny is, so we got to tell them. Johnny? <laughs> yeah. You know that Johnny. That's, Different that's Johnny. Yeah, so, but yeah, he gave, he gave me some valuable intel, we'll call it, you know, yeah. where to go, where not to go. I didn't follow all of it, but uh, he gave me useful information. And so. Well, I, I want you to stay with us because there's a lot of questions that I have, particularly about the Ukrainian people, who, Bob, quite frankly, they've inspired the world in a way I've not seen in decades. It's been a remarkable thing to see the resistance of the Ukrainian people. And I want to get more into when you finally got out and what you've heard from your friends when you're there. An absolutely incredible story. But I got to tell you, we're not done yet. We're going to finish this conversation right after the break, and you better not go away. Stay with us. We'll be right back. and sign up for his free newsletter and follow AdGovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. We're talking with Bob Thomas. He escaped from Ukraine just a little over a week ago amidst Russia's bombardment of civilian centers throughout the country. Bob, thanks for staying with us. I think all of us have been deeply moved by the people of Ukraine their resilience and their resistance to Vladimir Putin. I think he thought he was just going to march in and they'd all surrender, and that has not happened. Were you surprised by that sense of resolve that we've seen from them? I am shocked. I am surprised and just inspired, yes. Because uh, I, like many, really thought that the first morning I heard air raid sirens and then the next morning with bombs that Ukraine would just say, okay, never mind. What do you want to do? Yeah. And they haven't done that. God bless them. How much of that is because of the president, Zelensky, who has shown a remarkable sense of courage and, and grit? It might be significant because up until this, the opinion I detected on the street, and I teach English there, so I talk yeah. to a lot of people this way and get to know them personally and how they think. He was not positively viewed. He kind of was 
pictured maybe a little bit not as a serious president. Yeah. And he came through. He came through, said, I, need, I, I don't need a ride, I need ammo. Yeah. And that may be the quote of the century. It could I, be. I think it is. And he delivered a quote to P British Parliament, essentially channeling Churchill. You know, we're going to fight in the streets and in the forest and in the fields. And so I, wow. And, and Bob, that's exactly what's happened. The Ukrainian men have uh, gathered weapons. I mean, from some of them are teenagers all the way up to some older retired people. And they said, give me a gun. I'm, I'm ready to fight these Russians. And some of them are making, there's internet sites and, and networks, you know, telegram chat bots and whatnot, where the people are part of and they share recipes for Molotov cocktails, and they're in their apartments making homemade bombs to throw at any wow. invaders on the streets. I know people doing this. So um, are you in touch with friends and folks that you worked with and knew and taught in Ukraine? You know, I've been in touch with my doctors. A year ago, I had a very serious uh, heart condition. That's not really hard, but the aorta. Uh -huh. And my, my saintly, God-sent surgical staff is still working all day and all night, patching up people, plus fixing their normal aorta people. I've been in touch with them, and they are just, uh, you know, I offered to continue our lessons whenever it was good for them, and the head surgeon explained. It's like, well, for now, probably we need to take a break, but uh, as soon as Ukraine wins, we will resume. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I love that. It's like, what an encouragement and inspiration to all of us. And, and I wonder if, if this were where the United States was under attack like that, and somebody was viciously and ruthlessly coming in and killing civilians, would that be our response? Or would we just put our mask on and say, okay, we're, we surrender? I don't, you know, I don't know. It's a tough question. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think maybe Ukraine lives under that, that boot, that fear, that history of having been invaded and controlled before against their will. Yeah. And I think that part of that, it's not active in their everyday thinking, but I think it's in their cultural DNA that we're not going to let this happen again. Sort of the anti-Holodomor. You know, Ukrainian people that I have known uh, feel very, I would say, disconnected from the old Soviet Union, and they resented that whole connection that they had. They loved that they were made independent and were able to be free. And they've had their problems, corruption and other things, but at least they ran their own government. And it was a Ukrainian culture, not a Russian culture. Um, is that what's driving this sense of we will not surrender? I'm not really sure I can pinpoint that. And you know, I, I have visited Ukraine before I actually moved there five years ago. and. They, are, they, they have not been total anti-Russia the whole time. They speak Russian. The eastern half of the country is much more pro-Russian. Uh, they're still independent Ukrainians. The farthest eastern tip, Donbass, is maybe different. Mm -hmm. I mean, they went 90-plus percent to Yanukovych in two elections, which is the Putin president. Uh, but I think, yeah, there is, there is a culture of the, the in, deep in their DNA. It's just like in our DNA, give me liberty or give me death. Mm -hmm. uh, the tree of liberty must be watered with the, by the blood of the patriots. Uh, these kind of things are way back in our mind. They're not here now because we're warm and we're comfortable and we don't hear bombs and bullets. But maybe if we did, those things would come up. And I think maybe that's what happened in Ukraine. Uh, well, I, you know, I know that you are a strong believer and you have relied upon prayer and 
asking God to get you out, would you go back? Absolutely. If it's safe. I'm too, you know, my, my medical condition makes me a little bit too fragile to go back and fight or be active and run away from bombs and bullets. But if it becomes stable again, I really, really love Ukraine. Mm. The culture, the people are just wonderful. I love it. Bob, thank you for being here. It is an honor to have you. It's also refreshing to hear someone who gives us a firsthand understanding of what's been going on. Because quite frankly, I don't know to trust the news media a lot these days. So uh, I can bring you here and trust you and thank you for telling us your incredible story. Now, Keith has got his story, and he's going to tell us what's coming up in the rest of the show. Next, conservative family advocate Tony Perkins explains President's, President Biden's bizarre agenda, plus the internationally famous Music City Strings perform right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. Tony Perkins is an ordained minister, a broadcaster, a Marine, and a former police officer and a former legislator in the state of Louisiana. He's also the fourth and longest serving president of the Family Research Council and former chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. He says while the world is burning, President Biden is fiddling away his time on his ridiculous woke agenda only deepening the political divide in America. Please welcome to the show a longtime friend of mine, Tony Perkins. Tony, Thank thanks for coming here. Thank you. Good to be with you. It's great to have you. You are on the front lines of the cultural battles that are taking place in our country. And the Family Research Council has long been uh, a courageous entity. Right now, uh, you got lots to do, don't oh, you? It, under the Biden administration, it's like a hound dog at a squirrel farm. I mean, it, <laughs> you just, you don't know where to start. Yeah. Uh, the, the woke agenda has just taken over the administration. And what we're finding, and you made this in your opening, I thought it was very poignant. We're dealing with leftists, not liberals. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big difference between liberals and leftists. I love liberals because you can debate with them and you can, and then you can go out and have lunch with them. And they're sane and rational people. They are. They just have a difference of opinion. Yeah. You see the world a little differently, but they don't, they don't want to shut you down. Yep. And what we see, I mean, you see out of this Biden administration, this uh, leftist agenda, for instance, you got parents who are now engaged in their the education of their children. They're going to school board meetings yeah. because we've through one of the silver linings from COVID was it exposed the indoctrination in the classroom. And then I was, I was in DC last week flying out the night of the State of the Union and I have never seen so much security in all my life. Every street was shut down by the National Guard uh, because the truckers were coming. They're afraid of the truckers. They were our heroes two Absolutely. years ago. I tell you what, I am so grateful for the truckers. Me too. I, I, Me too. Because I think, like you were just talking with Bob, you know, I think what the truckers were showing us that take what you have and do with it what you can do hmm. to save freedom. 
And that's why I just love what the truckers have been doing. Tony, one of the battles that you have been engaged in is something called the Equality Act. I mean, equality, aren't we all for that? So what's so wrong with the Equality Act? The Equality Act is the Unequality or the Inequality Act. What this is designed to do is essentially to criminalize religious expression and participation. You, you've probably heard of the case that's actually unfolding right now in Finland with uh, Pavi Rosanen. She's a member of parliament. She uh, was as on trial for hate speech, in part for tweeting out a Bible verse because she violated kind of Finland's version of the Equality Act. The outcome of this case, which actually could be handed down any day now, could criminalize the Bible in Finland. Just tweeting out a Bible verse, just speaking about human sexuality as the Bible describes it has been a violation of the law there in Finland. And again, it's their version of the Equality Act. What can Christians in America do? Because I think a lot of people say, well, you know, that's, that's too bad, but that doesn't affect me or I can't do anything about it. Well, and that's what your organization is doing, trying to help people on what they can do. So what can they do? Well, what have we seen in the last two years? Your ability to go to church is controlled by the government. Yeah. And now we're seeing under a measure like the Equality Act, the ability to preach the gospel. Because actually the prosecutor in the case said that calling someone a sinner was harmful and offensive. Callings? Well, Jesus would never be able to be welcomed in this culture, would he? So here's what we need to do, Governor, is that we need to use the freedom we have to preserve the freedom that our children deserve or we all lose it. Mm. Well, I, I just hope that people will connect to Family Research Council because you guys have been on the front lines in a way that very few organizations have with information to educate people in the country, particularly pastors and churches and Christian believers. So uh, we're certainly going to tell them how to connect to well, it. And this is the greatest time, actually, I think, for the church because the world is so confused. I mean, people, they don't know which bathroom to use. Uh, you know, it's this we, we have... Whichever one is closest at my age is <laughs> the way it works, I'll tell you that right now. We're, we're denying reality. And, and people are starting to catch on to this, that, look, we live in a totally upside-down, confused world. And I think as Christians, we stand on the Word of God. Hmm. That's the definitive word for us. And I think even in the midst of the cancel culture, even in the midst of the hostility we see on social media, which really doesn't even matter yeah. in the big picture, as people come to their senses, they're looking for stability. They're looking for a sense of meaning. And if we're living out the purpose that God has given us, guess what? I think we're going to attract a lot of people to the truth of the gospel if we're brave enough to live it out. And that's what we've got to be. Amen. For our audience, if you'd like to keep up with Tony Perkins, and I hope you will, go to Huckabee.tv. We have links for you right there to all the things that Tony and the Family Research Council is doing. Uh, speaking of research, Keith has been doing some research on tonight's show, and he's going to unveil what he's found out and tell us. Well, I'd love to. Up next, Carol Markowitz holds government leaders accountable on COVID. Later, champion baton twirler Joelle Claudio performs on Huckabee.
Welcome back. Because we were doing a little music with Trey Corley, the Music City Connection. Don't know if you recognize it, but as old people do, everyday people slide the family stone. Speaking of everyday people, these are the everyday best band members in the country. Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Carol Markowitz is a fantastic columnist for the New York Post. Now, she moved her family from New York to Florida this past year, she says, to protect her kids from feckless New York politicians who were wrecking their childhood. This week, I thought you'd like that. Well, this week, she writes that as COVID restrictions all around the country and Democrat politicians pretend that the science has changed, Americans need to demand apologies for two years of policies that upended all of our lives. I think we would agree with that, and that's why we welcome to the show Carol Markowitz. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. It's fascinating. So many people are bugging out of New York. They've lost congressional yeah. seats because of it. Right. You know, it, it was a big story that our family left because I had always been, I kind of jokingly called myself a New York supremacist. I thought <laughs> New York was the greatest city ever. I was raised in Brooklyn. My husband was raised in Queens. We were going to stay there forever and retire to Manhattan. We had a whole plan. And the fact that we pulled the plug on that plan said something very bad about where New York was heading. Because if they lost us, that means they could lose anybody. And it, well, it was really sad. What was the turning point for you? What was that... Just this is it. That we no more. We're we're out of here. I just I couldn't see a path to sanity. I we had been in this COVID restriction mania for so long, and I, I just saw that New Yorkers had not a lot of interest in getting out of it. So what I always say about it is, yes, the politicians were terrible, and absolutely they played a large role in pushing us out. But really, my fellow New Yorkers were what where I was disappointed. I thought that when private schools opened but public schools didn't, I thought, well, this is it. This is when they're gonna march in the streets. And nobody marched in the streets. There was no outcry last year. And then when states across the country went maskless and New York stayed masked for kids, I thought, well, they're gonna see that, you know, kids aren't dying in the streets in Florida and other states that don't have masks. And they're gonna say, well, our kids should be maskless too. But that never happened. And I always, thought of New Yorkers as being able to see all the angles and being able to see through everything. Um, and this was a moment where I could tell that they just couldn't get there. They couldn't see through what was going on. They couldn't get to the truth of what was happening. And it was really disappointing. When you went to Florida and mm -hmm. your family relocated, what was very different and very obvious? So the very obvious was that my kids went to school without masks and that was it. They just, day one showed up with no masks. It wasn't a big deal and they just moved on with their lives like that. But little things that weren't obvious to me that had been lost in New York, like um, circle time in kindergarten. You're, they don't have that in New York City right now because you're not allowed to interact with other kids. Book fairs. Uh, parents are not allowed to come into school buildings and take the kids to a book At fair. At all? No, no. There's no activities in schools, uh, you know, uh, for parents. Or in, in our case in Florida, my mother-in-law was visiting. She took my kids to their book fair at their school. I don't know what year that's going to happen in New York. 2030? I mean, I, I literally can't imagine when the city gets back to that kind of normalcy. There was a sense of kind of hope that maybe the new mayor, Eric Adams, yeah. would make some big changes. Because de Blasio, in my mind, was <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Stark raven nuts. Yeah. But it doesn't seem that Adams has made big changes. Do you so, think he will? 
I, I also had a lot of hope for Mayor Adams. Yeah. He is... Uh, so finally, schools in New York City moved away from masking. About a month ago, they unmasked outside. And when I tell people <laughs> outside New York that they were wearing masks outside, it's just like, what? Uh, but now they've also allowed mask optional inside schools, except for two, three, and four-year-olds, because there is no vaccine for them. And that's just insane. No other country is even masking two, three, and four-year-olds. But he says he's following the science. There's no science to suggest that that's necessary. Yeah, a lot, a lot of faith already has been lost in him. And I, I root for New York. I want it to come back. I won't be back, but I want New York to succeed. And Mayor Adams is already on a wrong path. You're going to release a book later this year, and you're going to talk about uh, the impact of wokeism on children. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to have you back when the book comes out. Tell everybody about it, but give us a preview. Tell us what it's going to be. So the preview is that wokeness is destroying childhood in a variety of ways. We now kind of see it in schools, but it's not just schools. It's happening in, throughout just all manner of society, in book publishing, in health organizations. I mean, obviously, in the way we handled COVID. And wh what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, I laughed when you and uh, the, Tony were saying that you like liberals. I just wanted to be like, oh, Tony Perkins <laughs> says he likes liberals, and Governor Huckabee agrees. Um, but that's really it, you know liberalism or leftism even um, isn't new. But what's new is the shutting down of opinion. This wokeness, uh, it doesn't let you say anything that's not specifically allowed. And so what happened with COVID, for example, is that anybody who spoke out at all against the approved narrative was immediately shut down in every way. Um, they might even have their lives destroyed. And I mean, Parents were afraid to speak out and say, I want my kid's school to open. They were afraid someone would call their job and say, you know, this person wants teachers to die. And there was a famous story a few days ago where a, a Levi's executive, Jennifer Say, actually quit, was pushed out because she yeah. wanted schools to open. The most sane, rational thing in the whole world to want her kids to go to school. And she wasn't allowed to keep her job because of it. I saw it. It was an amazing interview. And, and she was a classic liberal. Exactly. But... Again, the kind that I love to hang around with because I get traction from right. people that I disagree with. But they're sane and they're reasonable. Mm -hmm. Carol, we're looking forward to having you back when the book comes Thank out. You. And uh, I know it's going to be a very significant work that we will all look forward to seeing. Now, for our audience, if you'd like to keep up with Carol's latest columns at the New York Post, go to Huckabee.tv. We'll connect you. You'll get more information on Carol and the columns that she's doing for The Post. And to keep up with the latest on this show, well, there's only one person to hand that over to, Keith Bilbrey. Here he is. Well, next, the amazing talents of champion baton burler Joel Claudia, plus star student entertainers, the Music City Strings perform on Huckabee. Guest Dr. Todd Rose and Chef Judith McLaughlin. My next guest has, well, let's just say an unusual act because it combines acrobatics, dance, and some very unique skills. Would you please welcome five-time men's champion for the National Baton Twirling Association and two-time world champion baton twirler, Joel Claudio.
Okay. Oh, wow. You know, Keith, that was fascinating. Have you ever twirled at all? I, I got to tell you, I have not. Joelle, do you think you could teach me something? I certainly can. Joelle, Come over I'm, here. I'm going to make you a twirler. Come on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We never have rehearsed this, have we? Joel, great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, this is going to be fun. I've never twirled a baton in my life. It's so fun and it's so easy. People think Oh yeah. Oh, I saw how high you threw that up in the air. Yeah. And I couldn't even see it. It went up there so far. <laughs> it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was right. up there forever. Okay, so what is the Okay. There's that, a baton right there, my friend. All right. Anyone can twirl, honestly. Like, you think so? Is, yes, definitely. We can start with the basic movements. Okay. And then from there, we just develop the difficulty. There you go. All right. I think you're a pro. That's man. how Miss Mickey Mouse did it on the Mickey Mouse Club. When he... She was my coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So let's uh, start with the basic, guys. You see, I did a lot of things around my body without touching the baton. Uh -huh. Those are called rolls. So I'm going to teach you one of the basic ones right now. We're gonna put your hand right in front of you, the left hand. Left you hand. You were right, there you go. My other left. And now what you're going to do right. is put the baton right next to your pinky. Okay, like this. Yes, just like that. Just hold right. it a little bit right here, boom. Okay. And then from here, you're just gonna roll it from one side to the other. Just push it and catch it with the same hand. There you go. Whoa! Yes, indeed. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, now huh. we're going to do the same thing. Okay. But now it's going to get a little trickier. And now instead of doing it on, on top of your hand, you're just going to bend your elbow right here like this. Bend your elbow there. I'm going to put it up. Okay. Twist a little. Okay. There you go. And now we're going to put the same thing, same movement of going from one side to the oh, other. Really? Yeah. Here, I'll show you. Okay. Just put it right here. Okay. And then you just push and catch it with the other hand. Just like. <laughs> I was just testing you to see if you uh, more like it. Yeah. All you have to do is make sure that you push it just a little bit. It'll roll over your elbow. Okay. You catch it on the other side. There you go. I think we need to start a program. Right you think now. so? I do you... believe so. I think you're ready for nationals this summer. I'm sure I am. I think he's ready for the flaming baton. Is what I think. You know, but only get those started do, yeah. right now. Only too. if you stand next to me while I do it. <laughs> Not. A, I'll be next to you with, with the marshmallows. <laughs> this is great. Well, I, I really appreciate getting to a. Do you have any more you want to show me? I have one more. Let's, okay. You know that you were impressed about how high I can yes. my baton. See how cool that is? Huh? It takes. <laughs> it just takes said, a little That's going to hit me in the face. No, no, no. We're never, that's never going to happen. This is going to be the big. Oh, got it right there. <laughs> I really Amazing. Think you tossed it out. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to duck. And you should be. <laughs> okay. So, so Look out very right. simple, quick. All you're going to do, hold your baton right from the middle, right? Okay. Now you're just going to do a, a twist movement and come back. Just twist and come back. There I you got go. that. Now, here comes the tricky right. part. Now you're going to let it roll over the thumb like this. As you twist, you're going to let go of the baton and it's going to roll over your thumb and catch it with the left hand. Oh, you think so, huh? I think so. <laughs> so do that one more time. Look, I'll go in slow motion. Okay. Just twist, twist, and as with the momentum, it'll roll over the thumb, and then you catch it down. Just okay. Drop down. There you go. Oh! I've never had a much. 
<laughs> I love it. This is impressive. I am so happy that I met you. Now I can totally train you and That's take you right. to nationals in the summer. He's going to be the next men's national champion. I think there's a future in this for me. <laughs> hey, visit Huckabee.tv for links to see more of the amazing Joelle Claudio. Hey, Keith, why don't you twirl on over to your podium and you tell us what's coming up next. I can't wait to see you at the Disney Parade down at Walt Disney World. After the break, extraordinary student talents of Music City Strings. Stay with Huckabee. Welcome back. I'm so excited about what we have coming up next. The Music City Strings, one of the top youth string performance ensembles in the entire country. The students blend classical favorites with bluegrass, rock, and country music all into an incredible high-energy show. Now, they've toured throughout the United States as well as internationally, being featured with a few people. Ah, you may have heard of people like Vince Gill, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith. Music City Strings founder and artistic director is Dana Meyer. She joins me now with members 17-year-old Elaine Krell and 11-year-old Rilo Schaffner. Would you please welcome the Music City Strings? <laughs> We're excited to have you guys here. Dana, how did you envision putting students together and teaching them a high-energy performance with, with strings, which normally we don't associate with high energy. Classical music is so hard and takes a lot of work. So I always put fiddle music with it. Uh -huh. And then moving to Music City and with all the parents in my studio being musicians, they kept saying, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? And I wanted them to be able to do all the things I wish when I was a kid that I could have done. And Barrage was the first um, group that started doing choreography with this kind of music. So Elaine, when you started, did you have a favorite type of music that you liked to listen to? Not necessarily play, but just like to listen to. So I don't know, when I was um, a little kid, um, I went to go see um, my cousin perform violin and I didn't play at that point. And they just kind of asked me like, Elaine, do you want to play violin? And I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was saying, I was like seven. And so I was like, yeah, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So, um, yeah, no, I would probably just say, at that time, I loved listening to Caleb on the radio. I would always ask my mom to listen to that. I, I remember always asking my mom, will you turn on the radio, mom? Will you turn on the radio? And so, yeah, just kind of pop, pop yeah. sounds, um, like with Christian contemporary. Rilo, what about you? How did you get started with violin, and how old were you when you first picked that instrument up? Well, my sister started playing violin first. Then actually my younger sister started before me. Uh -huh. And then that's when I decided to get into it. I was about seven years old. And then when I started playing it, I like, I loved it. So are you better than your sisters? I mean, they started before you, but are you better than them? Definitely. Are they in the, are they in the strings? Yes. Are they here? Yes. I wonder if they would agree with that. I'm not even going to ask them. I don't want to get a family feud going here. But I think it is just so exciting, uh, Dana, what you've created. 
and given all of these wonderful students an opportunity to not just learn the instrument, but to have fun with it, which is what music is supposed to be, mm -hmm. to have fun. Well, I want our audience to get connected with Music City Strings. As they get ready to perform, Keith is going to tell the folks at home how they can connect with the Music City Strings, and then you'll get to hear them. For links to Music City Strings concert schedule, videos, and more music, head on over to Huckabee.tv. Now, while you're there, be sure to watch an online exclusive performance of their song, Old Joe Clark. Now, here to perform Toss the Bach, it's Music City Strings. Yeah. 